Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. It's another guest episode for you. I did have a little bit of a nightmare this morning and I've lost two full A Need to Read guest episodes to a broken computer. So rest in peace to those. Unfortunately, you're never going to be able to hear them because they are gone. But there's a slim chance we'll be able to get them back. So I'm going to work on that. But I had Nick from Book Thinkers. It's an Instagram account, so it's at Book Thinkers. He's got a new app out that helps you with your retention of information from the books that you're reading. Now, if you listen to this podcast and I have made your reading list even longer or have increased your reading, you probably have noticed that you can't remember everything from the books. This app that Nick's come up with is hopefully going to combat that for you. And he's got a great explanation of how you can use this app to help you remember things. And even if you don't download the app, he's got some tips for you in terms of remembering and what to implement from books as well. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Nick and myself from the conversation I recorded just today because my computer deleted some files. Nick, the book thinker's man from the States, welcome to A Need to Read. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Good. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, for your reading community is massive and we love to see that reading community growing. So just for my audience, they may not have come across your account and I've shared a couple of your things previously, but um, just a bit about yourself. I know it's a terrible question, but if you, if you can answer that one for me. I can. Well, my name is Nick. I'm from the United States, Boston, Massachusetts specifically, and I manage the BookThinkers Instagram community. So we're a social community focused on personal development and nonfiction books. And I started that page because books changed my life. I'm a student of the world. I love to be a sponge and absorb as much information as I can from these amazing books and implement it into my life. And now, more recently, BookThinkers has become an educational technology company. And so we just put out a mobile application called BookThinkers Smart Retention. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a few minutes, but that's a little bit about who I am. Yeah, perfect. And, and beyond the books, is this now your full-time thing or what, what about the man behind the books? Sure. Yeah, I'm transitioning into it full-time and I do have a partner that is working it full-time. His name is Ryan. Nice. And so I graduated college or university a few years ago, and I took a sales job where I was able to work book thinkers on the side and continue to grow it as a side hustle for the last couple of years mm. and uh, learned some pretty cool skills on the sales professional side of things. And so, yeah, now, and, and what's nice about book thinkers is that it's mine and there's a lot of flexibility and, and a lot less pressure to perform for other people. And so, yeah, it's, uh, It'll be my full-time job soon. Nice. Excellent. Well, that's, that's good to hear. And you, you say you're from a sales background. It's actually similar to myself. And that's kind of how I got into reading. Because I think there's definitely a lot of books out there, especially in the non-fiction sort of field, that can sort of help so much when it comes to your sales, whether that's how you set up your day or how you speak to your clients. Was, was that what got you into reading initially? Or what, what was it that kicked it off for you? Well, it was that job. And so I had an early sales mentor of mine who, towards the end of my college or university career, I wasn't getting a lot out of the classroom. And so I was initially an intern at this same company. You know, here we are five years later, but I was an intern at this company and I got a couple book recommendations and yeah, they, they changed my life. And I think sales was one of the early places where 
I could see that applying the lessons from the books actually led to a real, you know, change in the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I could test all of these different things from sales gurus and from sales books, different strategies and scripts and testing things, scheduling things. And yeah, it changed my life. And what's so nice about that is a $20 sales book can, you can have a financial return on your investment almost immediately, depending on what you're selling and where you are. And that's, yeah, I think that that helped kind of cement the idea that a book can have a tangible impact in your life almost immediately. And a lot of people don't experience that because they read the wrong book and they don't get the return on the investment that's clear to them. And so for me, yeah, that definitely helps cement things. Yeah, definitely. What would you say then thinking back was your, your sort of go-to sales book for anyone in, in a position where they're working that kind of job, they need to up their sales. What, what's the go-to for you? Well, I have, a, I have a couple sales recommendations. And so if you're in a prospecting position where you're just dialing for dollars and you're on the phone all of the time, mm-hmm. I recommend Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt. And mm-hmm. he's at Sales Gravy or something like that on Instagram, but he has a variety of sales books. And, but that one, Fanatical Prospecting, is just what you were mentioning before. It's great for scheduling and it's great for blocking out time. It has certain scripts that you can use. Uh, teaches you how to handle objections a little bit. And so that was very important for me up front. And then for negotiation, I think Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss is the best book on negotiation ever written. And it'll teach you how to prepare for a conversation where you might have a negotiation and certain tactics and strategies that you might be able to use to become successful. And then outside of those two things, you know, there are specific recommendations. So for B2B selling business to business, I yeah. love Gap Selling by Keenan. It's like one of the most amazing books. And I'm also a Grant Cardone fan. I think yeah. from a mindset perspective in sales, Grant Cardone. So I know I just gave you a bunch of recommendations yeah, yeah. for everybody listening, you know. Um, I'll make a list. I'll make good. a list. Don't, don't you worry, people. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think sales is maybe one of the, it was, it's one of the few careers where your sort of coaches in that world will, will recommend you books that are going to actually help with your performance in that role because you don't necessarily have uh, right let's let's work on your injections book for nurses that's accessible to the public it's more sort of medical journals and, and stuff like that so it's an interesting thing with sales that you've got the greatest minds that look at like Jordan Belfort, Grant Cardone, people like that and they've written it down in the book and, and that's accessible. Yeah. So you so moving from from the sales and and into the book thinkers, it's must how how long has it been since you've been like reading quite religiously, as it were? It's been religiously. It's been probably about three years. Uh, but I've been I read my first book about five and a half years ago, maybe a little mm. bit less than that. And so it's yeah. it's somewhere around five years that I started reading, and I had a very radical transition. I went mm. from almost a stance against reading. When I was in college and in high school, I was a very poor student. I was sort of your typical like jock athlete, didn't really care much Mm. about the classroom. And I didn't think reading was sexy and I didn't understand Mm. that it could have such a good, you know, such a big benefit immediately in my life. And so then I started to read. And from that point on, I started to identify as a reader to everybody. Mm. You know, that's one of the first things that I talk about when I meet new people is book thinkers. 
and the impact that books have had on my life. And so whatever point that was, and I, I wish I had a date, I could probably go, I should probably go look that up, but there was an inflection point, a very clear defined change in my life. And it's when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That was yeah. the first book that I read. And ever since, you know, here we are 80 books a year now, sometimes yeah. more. Oh, that's really good. Uh, I, I love to hear that because I went through the same process. We don't necessarily have the jocks here, but uh, it's, I was, I was of that mind that I was just against reading and I didn't think it was cool. You see how it's misrepresented in like films. You always see like the nerdy yeah. dorky kid is walking down the halls and then the jock will just walk along and just smash the books out of his hand and push him over, call him loser. And I think subconsciously we attach to that idea that books aren't cool in that way. And that's the kind of thing that we need to change. I'll try and take care of it on this side of the pond and, uh, and you do it over in America and then hopefully yeah. we'll, our paths will cross at, at some stage. Mm-hmm. But um, saying that you're an athlete in, in America, this is just for my interest. I don't know if any of my listeners are going to care, but what sports like was it that you were sort of competing in? Sure. Well, in, when I was in high school, I was a football player and a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, those are two macho kind of sports over mm-hmm. here in the U.S. And they're very competitive and you spend a lot of time in the weight room and not a lot of time in the classroom. And yeah. I think that that narrative, you know, over here in the States, it's, you know, popularity matters a lot in high school, unfortunately, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. ego at play. And so there was that sort of misrepre- misrepresentation of intellect where there was the skinny little nerdy kid and then there's the big sort of sports person. And mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, there, there weren't many people that bridged the gap between those two. And I think I, you know, I I fell victim to that mindset back then. And then moving into college, I, you know, I didn't play any sports when I was in college or university, but Mm. I did. I mean, I I played recreationally, but I think I still carried the the ego and the insecurity with Mm. me. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I focused a lot on money. I I got a business degree, but I didn't really know Mm. why. And so at that time, I, I think... Yeah. Anyway, that answers your yeah. sports question. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, that's the thing is I, I was kind of hoping you say something like wrestling because I, I do jujitsu. So I understand that I don't ever want to be stood up with a wrestler. And I know that mm-hmm. that's a tough sport because you lot aren't even allowed to like sit down or lie down in training. Whereas jujitsu is like, we can just sort of like lay back and, and let the training come to us as opposed to like wrestling and like football and stuff. You always see from the UK perspective, like the mindset that you need for that. And I, I know Ben Askren, um, fighter, ex-fighter in the UFC, now retired, obviously Olympic wrestler, comes from, I don't know where in America, but I've, I've heard him talking about books on a podcast before and I was, I was surprised. I think that just goes to show the sort of stereotype that is attached to the sort of the sports person and stuff like that. But you, I think the more you get into reading, you do understand that there are a lot more readers out there that you wouldn't have thought of because like your vibe attracts your tribe and you start noticing people reading you see see a friend put a book up on a story and like oh oh you read maybe we could be better friends <laughs> yeah it is sort of the tip of the iceberg you know yeah once you see the book you can realize what's underneath and i've i've connected with a lot of interesting people that are the only they're the only person that reads in their friend group mm. and they might post a book one time sort of fearing that they'll be rejected but they'll just toss it up there to see what people think and I find those people really interesting because it is a lonely journey sometimes as a reader, you know, not yeah, a lot definitely. of people are into personal development and professional development. 
the way that yeah. I am, at least. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think when, when you become passionate for, about that, you want to tell everyone about it. And that's kind of the reason that I started the page and the podcast myself is because I was talking to my friends, my family members about it all the time. And I could just sense that they're getting a little bit bored with me chatting about books all the time. So I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll just chuck it on the internet. See if anyone gives a shit there, <laughs> and luckily some people do. So, so we're good, good so far. But um, I I give books away a lot. Like if I'm going to give someone a gift, it, it will always be a book. Um, and the question I ask most of my guests that come on is, what would be your number one book that you gift to someone? It's a great question, I, and it's changed over time. I mean, when I first read Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and it changed mm. my life in that in that dramatic way, I gifted probably two dozen copies of that book to friends and family. And I had yeah. everybody read it. My parents, my brothers, you know, their girlfriends, my friends, like everybody that, that would talk to me, I'd recommend the book and I'd ship them a copy. And then, yeah. so last year in 2019, the, the most gifted book of mine was I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Yeah. And that's because it's a, it's another finance book, but it'll help yeah. you gain security and lower your anxiety around money through systems. And it's very easy to follow sort of step yeah. one. Okay. Did you complete this? Move on to step two. Did you complete this? And it's in layman's yeah. terms. And so I gifted, I gifted many, many copies of that book. And more recently, like the last couple of months, I've gifted a lot of copies of a new book called die with zero by Bill Perkins mm. and die with zero talks about living, you know, living your life, you know, investing in experiences instead of material possessions. And he takes a very radical stance in that direction. And yeah. it's, you know, I've, I've taken a big shift in that direction too, where I love traveling the world and I put a lot of money into experience as opposed to yeah. material things these days. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm of that mindset. I have, I have seen you um, speak about the Die With Zero book and I, I think you've had a chat with him. Have you? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, I did, yeah. It's, um, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and uh, I wasn't mad on it. Like, I understood that it, was, it, was, it would be really, really helpful for a lot of people. And I think the simple things, like understanding what a liability is, understanding what an asset is, I think that's one of the most important things because it's not as easy to become rich as it was back in, in the 1980s, whatever it was back then, because there was, there was more opportunity in, in those things like property, things like that so I, I was always a bit skeptical when it comes to finance books because i always want to avoid people telling me to save money so that's that's why i like this die with zero book i'm like okay well i like the sound of this so i can i can certainly die with zero might have to be tomorrow <laughs> but we'll do it <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah so that's that's interesting it's heavy on heavy on the non-fiction i saw someone ask you a question yesterday about oh if there was going to be a book thinkers fiction area and yeah, you mentioned that you don't read much fiction, but is there any fiction books that you've read at any stage that stood out to you? Well, when I was much, much younger, so before I sort of took a stance against reading, I did, I did read some fiction back in the day. Yeah. And yeah. then more recently, it's been spiritual fiction. And somebody mm -hmm. joked with me yesterday, they said all spiritual literature is fiction. But I like... I like fictional stories, you know, Siddhartha mm. by Herman Hesse or The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. Mm. I find a lot of enjoyment in that sort of fiction. And then also business fables like The Go-Giver by Bob mm. Berg and John David Mann or The Latte Factor by David Bach. And those books, I think they, they can teach sort of nonfiction lessons, but through fiction. Now, mm. I don't, I think in the future, I'll get really into fiction when I feel yeah. less pressure each day to sort of secure 
the future for my family and for myself financially. I think I'll sort of tone down and get into more of the classical, you know, or, or I don't know, the modern day classics like the Harry Potters and the Game of Thrones and things like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting um, that you say that. The question I'd ask there is, have there been any books that you'd have wanted to read that are fiction that you haven't because maybe you feel there's a pressure to always be learning? Not yet. Um, and I've been conscious of that. Mm. You know, I write, there was a period of time where I was doing a lot of paid promotions for book thinkers. And so authors yeah. would reach out and in exchange for money, I would talk about their book and give an honest review. I would always return the money if I didn't like the book. Yeah. And that that list stacked so high for a while that there was always mm. a pressure to perform and there was a pressure to read these books. And there weren't yeah. even books that I always wanted to read. Now yeah. it's shifted more towards the podcast. And so a lot of my reading is for the podcast and also for the growth of book thinkers. Mm. And I've deliberately uh, slowed my reading so that it doesn't feel overwhelming and I can read things on the side that I'm interested in. So yeah, uh, that's where I'm at right now. There aren't any, any books in the fiction space that, that I feel like are overdue or that I need to read. Otherwise I wouldn't mm. read them. Like I've got enough time to do that right now. Yeah. Which is nice. nice. Yeah, of course. How, how much time do you spend reading on, on your average day? Between physical, so reading a physical book, uh, probably about an hour to an hour and a half per day. On the weekends, it's a little bit longer. And on the weekdays, it's a little bit shorter. And then audio really depends on the week. I mean, if I'm in the car a lot, then I crush a huge amount of audio. Or if I'm going for a lot of walks and runs and I have a little bit more of a lackadaisical week. And that can sometimes be 10 hours of audio a week as well. So Mm. I, I get a lot of reading done. Yeah, of course. And I think this, this brings us on quite nicely to your app. How, how do you retain all this information? How, how do you try and get it to stick? Because well, there's no way it will all stick, but like the important parts from, from all these books and all this content that you're consuming, how, how do you get that? Well, it all started because as, as we were growing this audience, you know, I received mm. Sometimes a hundred DMs in a day, sometimes just 20 or something like that. And a lot of people have been asking that question for a very long time, really ever since I started the page. And they'll say things like, hey, I read a book and here we are a few weeks later and I can't even remember anything from it. Or, hey, I'm not getting enough out of these books. What's the best way to take notes? And so I've always taken the stance that you need to cap the number of action items or takeaways from your book at 10. 10 is an easy number. You know, if you read a book like Think and Grow Rich and you have 100 things that you want to implement, it's unrealistic. And you'll sort of overwhelm yourself and that sort of overwhelm will cause inaction. And so because of that, I thought, okay, 10 notes, we've got to put them in a certain place and then we need to revisit them frequently. And so I started to learn about something called the forgetting curve. And it essentially states that the more you review something, the longer you'll be able to remember it. And so what the BookThinkers mobile application does is it introduces you to that forgetting curve using spaced repetition. You put your notes into the platform, doesn't matter if it's an audiobook, a physical book, your friend's book, a library book, it doesn't matter. Put your notes into the platform up to your top 10 takeaways, you can label them, and then you can turn on reminders. And so the mm-hmm. app will shoot you push notifications to come back and revisit your takeaways from these books. And as you reread them, you're flexing those neural pathways 
you're strengthening your relationship to that information and therefore you can recall it much easier and then your subconscious can also identify opportunities to implement it and so yeah. with a book like rich dad poor dad if you read it for the first time and put your notes in the system during the first week you're going to get hit a couple times to revisit that information and then it'll start to spread out one week three weeks six weeks ten weeks whatever and over time you'll be more comfortable with that information and so you'll be able to retain it longer and yeah. uh that's our first step in the direction that's what the app does today and you know we'll continue to build it and grow on it yeah nice i really like that idea i think that's such an important thing is, is having that active recall because i think when you get into reading you read a lot around how to read when when you mm -hmm when you start reading like a, a heavy amount of books. And for me, one thing is, is that active recall. And I've had a look at speed reading and it's, it's not for me. Cause I think for me, the, the reading is like an, an enjoyment thing, but I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on this. So a tactic I saw for speed reading was you, you read almost diagonally, but you completely silence the voice in your head that reads the words. Mm -hmm. So you're just essentially scanning the page, not really reading everything, maybe every fifth word or so, and then read a few pages, then shut the book and then just try and remember what you've just read. I'd like to know if, if that's something you've ever given a go. I have tried it, but only for a day. <laughs> I'm not a, I do like speed reading, but not, mm. not the form of speed reading that you talked about. And, and I don't even speed read that consistently, no. but in Jim Quick's new book, it's called Limitless. He talks about a form of speed reading where, you know, you're just controlling your time a little bit more intentionally. And he gives this metaphor that I'll give real quick. He says, when you're in a car and you're driving slowly, you know, your mind can wander. You can focus on the radio and sing mm. a song. You might be looking at the landscape or the architecture. You might be looking at mailboxes or reading license plates. You have the time to focus. And mm. so that's what happens sometimes when you're reading slowly is you're not using your brain uh, to its full capacity so your mind can wander. But if you're driving really fast and you're zooming around turns and things like that, you don't have time to look at the landscape or the architecture mm -hmm. or read license plates. You're focused on the road. And so that's what Jim Quick says is you need to read quickly. I still read every single word and I still mm. read it in my head, even though a lot of people say not to do that. And that's because I need to read a lot of books, but I also want to get enjoyment out of it. And so I sort of balance the two now. I don't do that with every book. There are certain books where I'll sit out on my back deck and sip a coffee on a Sunday morning and read slowly and circle something and pause and sit and reflect for a couple minutes and maybe journal mm. sometimes. And so I don't want people to think that I'm just a reading maniac, but for some books, uh, I do try to do speed reading, but yeah. in the form that I just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's definitely a bit of judgment when, when you read so many books, people think that you're there like aggressively flicking through the pages yeah. at night and just wake up in the morning. The first thing I write books, I need books where, and I think people underestimate how easy it is to read a lot of books. Yeah. I, I hear, and it's a question that I get all the time, right? As the book guy, it's like, okay, mm. quantity or quality. And my answer is always, if you, if you really want to prioritize reading, then it can be both. You don't mm. need to sacrifice one or the other. I read a lot of really good books and I implement a lot of really good information. 
And that's mm. because I've replaced other activities that are low impact or lesser of a priority of mine right now with reading. Mm. And so I spend a lot of time reading and I spend a lot of time implementing that information. And, you know, it doesn't come from a place where I need to feel defensive. It's because I've seen how much it's impacted my life in a positive way. And I believe mm -hmm. in both quality and yeah. quantity. Yeah, definitely. What's, what's your number one sort of implementation of since let's say COVID's kicked off since about March time, what's mm -hmm. been the one thing that you've read and it's, it's stuck out to you and be like, right, well, this is the lesson I want to take from this. I would say two things are competing for that number one priority spot right now. The first is the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen. I read it for the second time. And he basically tells you that if you're somebody with a good baseline of productivity, then additional work on top of like whatever that max amount is can actually lead to diminishing returns. And so working too much can actually lead to yeah. a lesser result than working less. And so I was at a place where I was working a lot and I was sacrificing a lot of fun engagements with family and friends to work. And mm. I took that down and I started to focus on more essential activity, the 80-20 principle. What 20% yeah. of activity is leading to 80% of the results? And so I spent a lot of time focusing on what is that activity and then getting rid of the rest. And so it freed up a lot of my time and that's been a big, breath of fresh air. So that's one thing. Yeah. And the other thing, Michael E. Gerber, the E-Myth Revisited, he talks about working on your business instead of in your business. And so people always default to their systems. You know, McDonald's was able to grow so much because it was a franchise. It was able to be franchised because it was only systems. That's all it was. Yeah. And so for book thinkers, you know, I've been focusing a lot on eliminating that low impact activity by putting in more systems. So you can automate, delegate, and eliminate that low impact activity to systems or to other people. And yeah. uh, those two things have changed my life in the last few months. Yeah, definitely. What well, look, you? I think uh, since lockdown, I read mm -hmm. the Tao of Pooh. Um, so it's an introduction to Taoism through Winnie the Pooh. And one of my favorite parts in that book is when they talk about the Wu Wei. And the Wu Wei is essentially not interfering with the universe. Mm -hmm. and to essentially not be so arrogant to think that you can. And they call it the Pooh way in the book because Winnie the Pooh, although he seems to always be the hero in these stories, he's never really doing much. He's just doing what's in front of him. So he mm -hmm. finds Eeyore's tail and all he's trying to do was find Eeyore's tail, but it was in a place that he wasn't looking for it. So without really searching, he rings his doorbell, a bit of rope falls off. Oh, well, I've got Eeyore's tail without actually thinking he's done it. Mm -hmm. So he gets midway through a journey and has completed it before actually finding the thing that he was looking for. And I think for me, in terms of not interfering with the universe, is just, let's just say something shit happens. Let's take the coronavirus. You, you should never hold on to like anger or, or like upset or frustration over a situation like this mm -hmm. because this is so out of our hands all we can do is what's in front of us at the time and i think for me i started this podcast at the, at the start of lockdown and it's lit a real sort of fire in me but i got to a stage where i was like i was really letting it take over my life even though it's it's not of any financial gain just at the moment i was just pure like on it all the time i was like well i actually just step back and do nothing a lot more kind of like ryan holiday stillness is the key that's that's also probably my confirmation bias going on at that time because i do like the idea of just 
nothingness breeds something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think for me, learning to do nothing and be okay and accepting of that is definitely something that I've learned over lockdown. I've been able to implement, but it is very hard when you feel like there's always that little bit more that you could be doing. Are you a fan of Stoic philosophy? I mean, you mentioned Ryan. Do you do you study outside of just that book, or I've I've got uh, Seneca's Letters from a Stoic. I've got um, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations here, and it's something I'm just starting to get into. And I'll only sit down with that book for one or two minutes at a time, mm. and just sort of, sort of run through it. But my there's a lot of concepts from Stoic Stoicism that I really attached to so like a, a more fatty the love of faith yeah, exactly. oh, that's what i was gonna bring up yeah it's why well, it's one of my i've literally just got it tattooed on the back of my arm you won't love that yeah just because obviously if i need to remember it i can just look on the back of my arm it's actually a really difficult place to see it so didn't think that one through too much but <laughs> i um, have memento mori tattooed right here oh nice and then when it's in the mirror is it Iram, <laughs> it is backwards yeah yeah <laughs> but i but, know it's there <laughs> yeah it's kind of like you're kind of like mementoing ourselves here Have you seen the film mm-hmm. so i've i've only seen the beginning of it but i know what it is yeah and yeah. i understand the concept yeah tattooing little notes to ourselves is i think that's the, is the way to go but so um, i'm done yeah yeah <laughs> nice and and you've got memento mori on you for my listeners that I don't know if I have spoken about that before, but what, what does it mean to you? I know there is a set definition for it, but for, for yourself. Yeah, for me, for me, it's prioritization. It's remembering your own mortality or remembering that you're going to die and that death is inevitable. So use your time wisely. And I think the more popular way to look at that these days is YOLO, you only live once. Yeah. I think there is some positive messagery inside of that because, you know, we, we really don't have that much time. And that is a morbid thought for some people, you know, so be careful with it. But if you can channel the positive side of that message, then it can really light a fire. And so I review it every single day. And I actually have a poster on my wall. Mm. It's called my life in weeks. And so it has 52 weeks across the top and it has 88 years going down. And each week you fill in a little bubble and I do it every Sunday and it's to show the passage of time. And yeah. we, we sometimes overestimate how much time we have. And so we always delay and we put things off and we procrastinate and then we end up regretting that later in life. And so I don't want to regret anything later in no. life. And that's why I, I review this message daily. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's, it's such a nice concept once you've got to grips with it, that you will die and everyone you love will die. And you haven't got that much time because you, you hear it all the time now, especially around sort of there'll be people, they'll, they'll be young and something happened. They're gone. Mm. Maybe early thirties, like forties in their twenties. There's a lot of like celebrities that have, that have died before their time. It may be overdose or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what causes it. It, it is an end to life at a, at a premature stage. And there's a lot of people that live in such a way as if they are just, going to live forever they're like well i'm just going to do all this and put all, all my eggs in this basket for the next 20 years and then i'll live a good life in 20 years it's like statistically like there's a strong chance you might not get there in the shape that you want to 
Yeah, plus, so in Dial Zero by Bill Perkins, he gives a good example where he says, from the ages 20 until 60, you're constrained by money and time because you're always working so much and you never have enough money. So you always think, okay, well, I'll have fun in vacation when I'm, mm. you know, after that, when I retire. But yeah. then what people don't realize is your health is your constraint from 60 until the time you die. And so we retire on our memories. You need to take advantage of life today so that later in life, you'll be able to look back on those memories when your health does take over and you can't endure long flights and layovers and crazy time zone changes and weird food and hiking up Machu Picchu. When that's not possible, you don't Mm. want to have a bunch of regrets in your life. You don't want to die with a million dollars in the bank, not having used Mm. it or a million pounds in the bank, not having used it. And that's such a powerful message. And so when you were talking about death and mortality, like here's the deal everybody around you is going to die. Like for me, that's like a warm, fuzzy kind of thought because I know Mm. that I'm living my life to the fullest. And for other people where that puts a pit in your stomach, really think about your time. Are you choosing Mm. to spend it wisely? Because if you're not, start, you know, read Die With Zero or start getting into Stoic philosophy. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's the thing. There's a reason that people will feel uncomfortable when they hear that. And it's probably because they know that they're not living in such a way that they'd be happy to die next week if it came mm-hmm. about. Whereas I think for me, like I, t- I took a step back from the like living day to day and making sure like my days were great because that can be almost an irresponsible way to live. But I think if, it, if I look at a week and I, I always look back on the last seven days, I'm like, right, have I done at least like three or four things just for the sake of fun? And it almost goes back to what you said about essentialism, because that was one of my favorite chapters in there. It was just about doing fun things. If I was to die next week, and I look back on, on the week that I had before, I'd be pretty content. There'd be some upset people, but I mean, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be dead, so it would be fine. And the week that I had just before, everyone would know, like, oh, I went skateboarding a couple of times, or I, I, I read books and, and chilled out and just did the things that I enjoyed doing that's the kind of thing where I want to live and maybe week to week will become irresponsible at some stage and it will have to go month to month. And, and I think as you get older, it does, does get you live from month to month and, and sadly year to year. But if you can fight that and, and try and make it week to week, I think it's, it's almost a secret to a good life. Yeah. I like that. Mm. What is it that you enjoy doing for fun? Cause I know you said you used to be an athlete and uh, I know you love reading. But what are those things that you're doing outside of it? I love to travel and I love to Mm. travel internationally. So Mm. in 2019, I visited five or six new countries Mm. and I love spending time in different cultures and trying foods and learning history. Mm. And to me, there's nothing better in life than that. And so Reading is, is sort of at the top of my list, but travel and family is definitely above that one. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, just, and I, I, I haven't been to uh, England yet or London, so mm. I definitely have to visit. But last year I did visit Europe and I yeah. went to Portugal. Oh, nice. Lisbon and went around Lisbon. And yeah, it was, a, it was a fun trip. But I've spent a lot of time in Central and South America as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely on my list to, to go down there. Well, from 
my point of view with with your book thinkers account do you have someone run that whilst you're away or do you still sort of keep an eye on it whilst you are away or do you completely switch off because it, it, it has the algorithm no. may play a part that's the thing is because sometimes you take a week off and then instagram's not going to show your shit to anyone <laughs> yeah and because of that reason the account has been posted on every single day for the last like two years mm. and most of the time that's been me and so when I'm traveling, I'll let a couple things slide, but I'll still post, you know, it's part yeah. of my morning routine and, and it yeah. only takes 10 minutes. I'll have generated the content previously when I'm traveling, yeah. you know, so I'll yeah. stack it all up and then it's only a 10 minute activity. So I won't answer yeah. comments. I won't answer DMS for a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever. And then I'll go back and yeah. clean them up. But now we have more systems in place. And so I do have somebody yeah. that, that is ready and able to take care of all DMS and yeah. comments and posting, which is nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good. It's good that it can get to that stage. And I think the, the one thing about having a book account is that you just don't want it to take away from what it is. And I think with Instagram, I, I have such a relationship with it where it's like a love hate. I know that I, I need it, but I also know that I don't need it. And mm -hmm. I'm like annoyed at the fact that I also need it because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a confusing place to be. Have you read any books? I know you're heavy on the nonfiction that, that for maybe people that struggle stepping away from Instagram or technology or anything like that, is there any books that you've read around that that have really sort of taken your interest? Absolutely. I'll give three recommendations. So Indistractable yeah. by Nir Eyal is a fantastic yep. book and it'll teach you that it'll teach you that the antidote to chaos is forethought. And so if you want to, if you want Instagram to be part of your life, you need to plan it into your schedule. Discipline yeah. equals freedom, which is a little counterintuitive. You might think that by planning Instagram into your schedule, you know, that's a little bit too militaristic, but it actually mm. is a freeing feeling knowing that it doesn't have control over your life. And then I'll say Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, as well as Deep Work by Cal Newport. Those two books have taught me how to focus and how to use intention on a daily basis. And so for me, I have, at the very beginning, I had a love-hate relationship with Instagram where I loved sort of the feedback and communicating with members of the community. But just like you said, the algorithm matters. And if you're building a business, you don't want to take a couple days off and then Instagram just smushes you into oblivion. And yeah. so for that reason, I don't love Instagram. And now having other people on the team and putting systems in place, it's nice. And it's, it's sort of a relief. And so I don't feel tied to Instagram. I spend about an hour a day on Instagram, you know, mm. through a variety of, of and that includes creating content, posting content, and then yeah. we have other people on the team now that respond to a lot of the content and, and the comments yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, that's cool. It's one of those things. That, like it, it, it does take up your time, especially creating the content. Like you're right. So, final question for you then, Nick. Um, and just before I do let you go, there, it's a difficult question. Your top three books of all time. People normally ask me my top five, and so I always have them ready to go, but now I'll narrow them down to my top three. <laughs> yep. I want to make this hard. <laughs> well, because I already talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and the impact that had on me, I won't mention that book. I'll yep. mention a couple others. 
So the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss had a really big impact on my life because when I had read that book, I didn't know much about lifestyle design. And that book teaches you how to you know, use what motivates you and implement it into your life. And he talks a lot about how to automate, delegate, and eliminate low-impact activity, just like Greg McEwen does. He talks about traveling the world, which is something that I do now and I get a lot of enjoyment out of. He talks mm-hmm. about how to be an entrepreneur, how to reach out to other people who are outside of your network for mentorship or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. And so I've just implemented so many things from my, you know, from that book into my life that I owe it so yeah. much. And that's one of those books that sometimes people don't love it as much as I do, but that's totally yeah. fine. It, it hit me at the right time and I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. So that's one. Yeah. It's like being a believer, um, I think, or almost being a it is. There's going to be people that hate him and people that absolutely love him. Yeah. And you know what's so funny about Tim? It's like, yeah, there are people that love him and people that hate him. And then there's people that don't know who he is. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like, if you don't know who Tim is, then good, go on and live your life. But if you do know who he is, you either love him or you hate him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so that's one book. Another would be The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And that book had a massive impact on my life too. So I had read that book and I learned that small steps in the right direction over a long period of time can lead to a disproportionately positive outcome. And so a very Mm. simple, actually my, my example there is in the U S but if you're if you're flying from LA and you're going to New York city, which is Mm. geez, now I'm going to use miles. It's like 3,500 miles. But when you're taking off, if the nose of the plane is off by just 1%, and if that 1% compounds over the duration of the flight, you end up way off course, 200 miles off course. And so that book got me thinking, like, what little small changes in my day-to-day routines and habits can I make so that 10, 15, 20 years from now, I'm in a wildly different place? And those are little shifts. And so they're not intimidating to implement. They're very easy to talk about. And they could just lead to a wildly different place. And so I have an accountability group with a group of my friends. We meet up every single week and we use this activity tracker where we Mm. implement things from the books that we're reading and we try them out and we journal about them and talk about them on these calls. And, you know, there are so many things that I've implemented and I've, I've done every week for the last two years. And it's just blown my mind how positive these things have really made my life. Yeah, no, oh, that's really good. I, I like the fact that you've got an accountability group. That sounds ideal, really. Yeah, I'll, I'll share the template with you if you have anybody in your network that uh, you might want to start one up with because it is yeah, quite a commitment, but uh, it it's fun to track this and, and I'll be able to go back later in life and reread these, you know, yeah. which will be a fun activity. It's sort of yeah, a roadmap. Man. Yeah, definitely. And the last book that I'll mention is... The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And so I had read that book very early on in my reading career, and it taught me the reciprocal relationship between giving and receiving. And so in that book, I learned that, you know, some people are go-getters, right? They're just taking, 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 taking. They're just working a million hours a week. And then there's some people who are go-givers. You know, they're giving, 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 giving. But the real giving relationship is to stay open to receiving as well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the more you receive from providing value to the world, the more you can give back. And then the more you receive, the more you can yeah. give back. And I, you know, I was just out there hustling and I didn't really realize that. I didn't really realize that you needed to give, give, give as well. So that, that opened yeah. my eyes at the time. And it's a, that is a fictional book. It's a fable. Oh, cool. 
Oh, nice. Well, I'll definitely get, I'll, I'll get on that. That sounds like a really good book. I, um, I like the idea of, of the whole sort of giving because they say giving is living. And I think it's such a true thing when you start doing nice things for people and it's, you can understand why people believe in karma when, mm-hmm. when you give a lot out to the world, you do start getting back or maybe it's a sense that you're concentrating on it and you start to notice more of what you get because you become more grateful because you see what it is to give. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, it's a concept I can get behind and that's a book I shall be getting and reading within the next couple of weeks. Um, cool. But yeah, thank thank you for that. Thank you for all those um, recommendations. I'm going to have a real task to re-listen through to this and, and pick all of those out. Um, <laughs> but I've, I'm sure that all my readers, I'll I'll get a list together um, for a book thinkers reading list on on need to read. But um, where can it, where can everyone find you? I'll, I'll put any links necessary and a link to your app as well. I'll chuck in in the episode description here. The best place to get to me is on Instagram at bookthinkers. We also have a website, bookthinkers.com, you know, and we're on all the other social medias as Mm -hmm. well, but we pay the most attention to Instagram. And Mm -hmm. if you want to get to me directly, then in my direct messages, you know, I do answer most of those messages every single day. Yeah. That's the best place to find me. Okay, nice. And then for those with the app, your app is not just for seasoned readers, is it? This This is for everyone. It's going to be great for beginners as well as seasoned sort of reading all the time readers it is yeah it'll help you organize your notes and it'll help you retain as much as you can from those books and so it is subscription based when you download it you'll go through a sign up process and then you'll subscribe we have a couple different options for you and it's a tool that you can put in your pocket you can access your book Mm. notes whenever you need them i always use the example if you're going into a sales meeting and you want to review your negotiation notes before you walk in, then you could just pull up the app. You've got all your notes, you know, right where yeah. they are. You can review them and then you're better off. And so books have a funny way of providing a return on investment and it can happen in all different forms. You want to make sure that you have those notes with you because you spent the money on the book. You spent the time to read it. You don't want to lose those notes. Mm. You don't want to lose that out of your brain. And so the app for me has changed my life. You know, I've been doing this process behind the scenes manually for a very long time. And now I'm so happy to have a piece of technology that automates the spaced repetition piece because now I just set it and forget it. It's one of those work on your life instead of in your life kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll say thank you for coming up with the idea because it sounds brilliant. And for all of my listeners, it doesn't cost more than a pint. So it's going to be worth it. You can have one less point a month and you get to remember everything you read. But thank you so much for coming on, Nick. I'm going to pause the recording there now, but any final words? No, that's it. Just go out there and read. Well, you heard it here first. Go out there and read something. You should have taken a lot of recommendations from that podcast. I know I've definitely taken a few. The Go-Giver definitely sounds like something I want to give a go. And the Compound Effect... I think I'm, I'm quite keen on that. I've already read The 4-Hour Workweek and I absolutely loved it as well. So if you haven't read The 4-Hour Workweek, you've probably heard that recommended quite a few times on this podcast. So what are you waiting for? That's the question. But if you are new here, please do give us a follow on Instagram. It's at a need to read with the number two as opposed to the word. And if you want to sign up to my emails, everything like that, it's in the link in my bio there. So I will obviously catch you on the flip side and I'll be back soon with another book review. So take it easy, people. Lots of love. Goodbye. Au revoir. Auf Wiedersehen. Good night.